you're listening to the Man Overseas Podcast, a show that explores methods and ideas to help you live a bigger life. You will hear interesting stories of how people live, how they save and invest their money, and why having time wealth is better than being a billionaire. If you are entertained, educated, or elevated, be sure to hit the subscribe button. We're just getting started. Now here is your host, Brad D'Antonio. Hello, friends, and welcome. I'm so glad you could join me today. My guest is Eric Richard. In 2019, Eric quit his full-time job to become a location-independent entrepreneur. He tells us how you can do it, too, at least once we get past all this COVID mess. Eric says that he first learned about FIRE in 2015 and immediately started making life changes. And just by following the principles of financial independence... He soon had enough money in savings and investments to live out his dream, which was to be a digital nomad. Now he hosts the Nomad on Fire podcast, where he talks about the digital nomad lifestyle and financial independence. He interviews early retirees and entrepreneurs, freelancers, other world travelers. He's even interviewed your not-so-humble host. (laughs) I was on his show last year. In this episode, we get into stories of our travels. So if you like hearing about the people and cultures of Southeast Asia, Latin America, I even talk about Romania and Eastern Europe a little bit, I would say where we focus our most time is on Chiang Mai, Thailand, and Bali, Indonesia. So we both spend a lot of time there, so we have quite a few stories to share. One part of our discussion you may find interesting, he asks me, how did I know that my wife was the one for me, or at least what made her stand out among the many women of the world? It's the perfect question coming from Mr. Nomad, all the people that he's met. And I don't recall exactly how he worded the question, but I found myself for the first time trying to articulate what has been without question the best decision I've made in my life. And I mean that. If the good Lord sent Katrina's cousin Kiki from the Gulf of Mexico up the Mississippi River to get us, Katrina was a hurricane, of course. Kiki would be a hurricane. It wouldn't take that much to take us out. There's a levee about four blocks from here. If that levee were to breach, we'd be swallowed up in the mighty Mississippi, and I'd be a veritable gompacon. (laughs) But let it say on the tombstone pizza box that my decision to start a family with Lady O was my best, without question. Let's get into it. Please enjoy my chat with Mr. Nomad on Fire, Eric Richard. Eric Richard, I am so glad to have you today, buddy. Welcome to the Man Overseas Podcast. Brad, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. As I understand it, you may be as well-traveled as I am. Have you touched foot on all seven continents? I have not, unfortunately. I'm actually kind of newer to the travel digital nomad game, so you probably have me beat by quite a large margin. I'm at about 60 countries now. Oh, wow. I think I'm at like, yeah, I'm, I think I'm only at like 15 or 16. That surprises me because you can get about 15 or 16 just traipsing through Europe. So Europe actually is, is one place I, I haven't been to. Oh, Lord. Well, yeah, you could double your country <laughs> count just by flying to Belgium and then taking a train to Amsterdam, Paris, over to Switzerland. I mean, it's, there's like a new country every two hours on a train and you'll see some of the most beautiful countryside there is. Although I will say that it's getting more expensive to train through Europe, especially if you're like me. I like to wait until the last minute. I don't want to, 
I don't want to buy a train ticket for this day at 7.30 a.m. in advance to save $40 or 40 euro. How expensive is it? And what have you seen, I guess, the price increase in well, the last let's few say, years? Well, let's say you wanted to go from Prague to Vienna. If you book the night before, it's going to cost you roughly, I want to say $120, something oh, like wow. that, round trip. Yeah, it can be pretty costly. But if you booked six months in advance, that same trip would be half the price, like $65. But I don't want to have everything mapped out that far in advance. And I'm such a weirdo that I'll be in Budapest with my wife. This actually happened. And I enjoy being on trains so much that I will take my books and my journal and I will take a train ride to five hours away and then come back that same day just so I can be on a train completely bound to my seat for 10 hours with nothing else to do. I absolutely love that. And a lot of times you don't have internet as you're going through dead areas. So it obligates you to either read, write, think, plan, goal session, whatever you want to do. And if I lived in Europe, I, I could see myself doing that quite a bit. And then when you want a break, you can just look out the window or start up a conversation with the person next to you. I'm a big fan, man. You definitely need to do Europe if you haven't yet. I absolutely love it. But I'll tell you what's weird about it is that you can go to Croatia, let's say. You can be a hop, skip, and a jump from the Italy coastline and never go to Italy. Or you could go to Prague, be a two-hour train ride from Vienna, and then fly all the way back to the United States and never having stepped foot in Austria. So that happens. You really have to plan well, and you're not going to have time to see it all, so you really have to pick and choose. What's your favorite part of the world to travel to? Europe's definitely on the, on the list for me. I'm hoping uh, my dad is planning on retiring pretty soon, so I'd love to do like a few months over the summer, kind of once covid situation you know gets gets better i'd love to spend some time over there with my parents i mean i traveled all throughout latin america really enjoyed colombia i loved it there there's a ton of places in mexico that i didn't get a chance to explore i'd love to go back and spend a lot of time in mexico was in southeast asia at the beginning of the year chiang mai gets a lot of hype as a digital nomad hotspot it i would say i had super high expectations and then sometimes in life there's you know things even exceed the high expectations that you have for it. I would say Chiang Mai met that for me. I, I don't want to try to hype it up too, too much for people that haven't been there, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very laid back place. I've um, been there twice. And the first yeah. time I wasn't that impressed. The second time I stayed in the Nimmin area, N-I-M-M-A-N-N, -N, mm -hmm. I think it is, fell in love and I, I could live in the Nimmin area. Absolutely loved it. What did you like most about Chiang Mai? Yeah, that's yeah, that's the same part of town I I stayed in as well. Perfect. It was just it was just easy, I guess, if that makes sense, right? There was a lot of uh English spoken there. It's super cheap, great food, you know, you can get I would get I would go to this vegetable place and I would get like two whole plates of food and I think it cost me like 2 or 3 dollars USD. Great you know, co-working like cafe set up if, if you need to get any work accomplished. The Maya Mall or whatever it is there, 
was was nice movie theater there that's like very close i don't know it was just a very comfortable place everyone's very welcoming i like instant it instantly felt like home i guess like the very first day i was walking around i, I loved it couldn't agree more we stayed in a mid-rise apartment which cost about 650 us dollars a month it had a nice pool a nice gym a security guard you had to go through two security measures just to get into your elevator basically so very secure our neighbors left to go to a co-working space every day which i could see why there are a lot of studio apartments but we had a divider that we could close between the master and the, the living area which is where i would work uh, so they would go there from let's say nine to three and that would be their work day and often at night they would go to a bar and they would have other digital nomads there. If I ever left my working space at home and wanted to go to a cafe, they were almost always full, especially the nicer ones. Like if there was a, a nice two-story Starbucks, which there was about a block from my house, I'd show up there and there'd be no place to, to sit. You really had to wait. Uh, but there were other less busy coffee houses that you could go to and work but you did get the sense that this is a very heavy digital nomad area. And I loved it, man. I would, I would go back in a heartbeat. That Maya Mall that you speak of, I had a gym membership there, which was probably the only expensive thing that I did there. So the, motor, the scooter that I rented, I did a little negotiating and got it for like $80 for the entire month. And to fill up the gas tank probably cost $4.00. So inexpensive, but this gym membership, and it was top of the line gym. I mean, it had top-notch equipment, brand new, like nobody had ever sweated on the equipment. And if they did, you know, the <laughs> hygiene is so high there that they would just clean it right off. But then you go to the, the locker room and they had a, a, a serious steam room and a dry sauna and they had like a... a a shower that you could go right into that had the coldest water in the world. And I just love the hot, cold contrast. I think that does wonders for your, for your health. And so I've really gotten into that. Ever since I went to Budapest, in fact, they had the natural baths, the thermal baths there, and the Gellert baths especially. There are quite a few there, but I fell in love with the Gellert baths. And ever since then, that whole going from hot, to freezing cold where it takes your breath away and back to hot and back to cold and finishing on cold, which is what the gurus recommend that you do. It's life-changing if you can mix that in regularly. I mean, it's just like a total reset for your operating system, as they say. So I love it. Yeah, I'm with you on Chiang Mai. Where else in Southeast Asia is a hot spot for you? So I, after Chiang Mai, went to Bali, spent some time in Changu and kind of along the same lines of what you were talking about, people ask me like, oh, what was your favorite part about Bali? And honestly, it was the gym that I went to. I went to this place called Body Factory Bali and it, they had the same setup. Like, they had like the biggest sauna I've ever seen. They had a cold pool, then like an ice pool that was even colder, a hot tub, and then like an infinity pool. And it was the most, relaxing thing like to get a hard workout in and then spend another hour or two just hanging out there in the recovery area it was it was badass it was it was awesome i'm with you we stayed in ubud and mm -hmm. the gym we absolutely loved it man it had like the perfect temperature in the gym where 
it was open air and it was just enough for you to sweat. But then they had these nice, cool wall ACs that would spit out cold air that you could just go and, and get some refreshing air and then go back and get after it and then sweat just enough to want to seek that cold air again. By the way, this all overlooked, the gym overlooked the pool, which was just different levels and beautiful bodies sitting out everywhere. And you know, they're just living the life because it's between 1 and 5 p.m. and they've gotten their work done for the day, which by the way, they have coffee houses uh, attached to this big complex that also overlook the pool and these big buffet spreads, which they probably don't have buffets there anymore, but you can just run a tab almost like you're at a, a country club. It was called Titi Batu. And I think Russell Simmons might be one of the owners because he escaped to Bali because they don't have extradition treaties with the U.S. So I don't know if you know his story, but he was featured on Megyn Kelly's NBC show because he had gotten accused of sexually assaulting like 18 women. Well, when my wife and I walked into that gym on day one, there was this guy that looked like Russell Simmons that was just staring down me and my wife. And I'm like, hey, that's Russell Simmons. And she said, who is that? And so I Googled him for her, saw that he was worth like $340 million. And soon after that, you know, I, I befriended him. I, I told him that, I, I, that my life had been enriched by his work. Like I was exposed to him for the Deaf Comedy Jam when he was on HBO when I was young. And that exposed me to like Bill Bellamy and Jamie Foxx and all these, these hit comedians. And um, so we kind of hit it off and I'd see him all the time in there. And I couldn't stay out of there because you can do your work you can you know, bring your laptop and then you can shower. And then they would have these barrels that you could get in that were like hot saunas. You could set it to whatever temperature you wanted once you get out of there. And it was like a solo deal. Then you could go into this solo wooden, again, like a, a barrel cut in half that they would fill for you. And you could just give them a little tip if you want. And, and then you'd, you'd submerge your entire body up to your neck and then getting out of that, you would just feel so refreshed. And then it's like, now what do we do with the rest of our day? And so we would get on the scooter and we'd go catch the sunset somewhere. You know, it's just, just riding around Bali is just the most beautiful, enlivening experience. I, I could live in Bali forever. And I'm sure Russell Simmons, for example, will live there forever. Because once you've built some relationships, there's no reason to leave. Did you get a chance to go to that island called Nusa Penida, which is about a 45-minute speedboat ride from the main island of Bali? Unfortunately, I didn't. We had a few, my girlfriend and I had a few side trips planned, and then kind of right when we were about to do them is when COVID, you know, really started getting bad, and that's when we decided to come back to the U.S., so unfortunately, didn't get to do any side trips. Wow. So you were there, what, in January or February of 2020? I was in Bali in March of this year. Oh, my goodness. And were you forced to come back to the States at that time? I wasn't forced. I mean, in hindsight, you know, I'm sure we could have found a, a different place and like a better situation, but we were just in a guest house there and like there wasn't even a kitchen. Like we were eating all of our meals out. And this is when, you know, travel got banned from Europe and everything. It seemed to kind of snowball like all at once. So we were like, ah, I feel like the, you know, safest thing at this point in time is just to go back, spend some time with family in the, in the U.S. Do you ever regret coming back? Hindsight's always, always 2020, right? You know, I'm, I'm sure, like we said, we could have found a sweet villa for, for half off and, and spent some more time there. And, you know, 
if it was locked down, not have to worry about visas or anything and, and spent some more time in paradise, but can't, can't go back and change it. So no, yeah. no regrets. <laughs> I see that guy, AJ Cortez. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's a Twitter guru. He's got a bunch of followers and he went to Thailand maybe nine, 10 months ago and has been living there ever since. And he posts pictures all the time just showing, hey, life is normal here. You could come here and, well, I don't know if you would be able to get there, but maybe he he beat the lot, beat the shutdown of the border. I'm not sure, but you're right. If you can get to somewhere, because we've been pricing out places in Prague and Poland and different places, right now you can get a place for like 30 to 40% of what it would normally cost. So a nice, luxurious, high-rise apartment that would normally go for, let's say, Sixteen or eighteen hundred dollars goes for probably eight hundred dollars right now. It's crazy, but their target market is only local people that have money to spend for probably a short-term getaway. So that's, has that's crazy. Has COVID nineteen created such a mess for you that you've had to make adjustments personally, not only to your lifestyle but like your work life? Yeah, I mean, definitely had to make some some adjustments. I feel like in terms of focusing on like travel related content, right? I've tried to shift more to like the financial independence piece, right? If there's not as much, you know, if, if <laughs> the industry is, is pretty much shut down, you know, I traveled with a program called Remote Year. They're essentially like completely like they, I think they tried to run some other programs and then same thing got shut down. So it's a, maybe a little bit more difficult to talk about that piece. Shut down meaning bankrupted, like shut down forever, or what do you mean shut down? No, I don't think. I mean, I think they were having some financial struggles. They actually got bought out recently by the uh, Selena brand. I don't know if you've ever stayed at any of the Selena um, like hostels and co-working. I've certainly spaces. seen them in Playa del Carmen and Jaco, Costa Rica. It's a great yeah, hostel. So, yeah, they're they're really nice, and they have you know some of them have like bars attached, co-working spaces. I think they have good setups there. So it'll, it'll be interesting. You know, I mean, I know a lot of people that traveled with Remote Year and had awesome experiences. So I hope they, you know, make a full comeback and, and bounce back. And then it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that works with, with Selena owning them. Because I think they're planning on still like operating programs independently, but then I'm sure it'll be kind of pretty much all the accommodation will be through the Selena brand. So I don't know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. And then so members would be required to stay at a hostel, I guess? I, I guess, yeah, I don't know. I think that'll be the interesting piece to see because one of the kind of exciting things about Remote Year is like every month, every new city, it was kind of, it kind of depended on the city what the accommodations would be. Sometimes you might have an apartment to yourself, like in Southeast Asia, right? It's, it's affordable enough that everyone could have their own studio apartment. But then there were other places where, like in Santiago, Chile, they had this place called The Mansion, which you know, had like 16 bedrooms. So it's just a bunch of people living one, one house together. Uh, some other places were like three or four bedroom apartments. So you kind of had roommates, but it was kind of exciting to have that variability, you know, that sense of the unknown, like, oh, who am I going to be living with next month? But if, you know, everyone just gets their own room or something in a hostel, then that's maybe not as exciting. Well, it's kind of like the real world, right? Without all the cameras. 
<laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so tell me how it worked. You would pay a membership fee and what would that provide? Yeah. Like I, my girlfriend and I were like, we want to be digital nomads. We want to start working and, and traveling. And so you met your girl got, where you live now? Yeah, we were living in Austin, Texas before we started traveling. So we, we met in Austin. Heard um, <laughs> so we were like, all right, let's do just like one of these programs, like a work and travel program so we can meet other travelers and digital nomads. Like I'd rather, my philosophy was like, I'd rather pay a little bit more up front to kind of have that built in community and like the logistics taken care of for me. Um, so, you know, you pay a set monthly fee. I think, I think it's about, um, $2,000. We got a slight discount as a couple, but that includes like your accommodations, flights between the various cities, and then a co-working membership. So in terms of like, you know, maybe if you're coming at it from the financial independence angle, you're like, wow, that's pretty expensive. But if you're coming from the high cost of living city in the U S to have all that included, you know, can can be a good deal. But I think what you're really paying for is like the community piece of it. There are 28 people in my group. So there's the same group of people traveling um, the whole time together, which, which was sweet just to build those relationships. And, you know, you instantly have a community of friends and people to hang out with, which is really nice. So $2,000 a month, roughly. Mm-hmm. And you're paying that upfront. And is it like a monthly contract? I did a four month program. There was a deposit. I think it was like two or three grand maybe as a deposit. And then, um, and then 2000 per month after that. So definitely more, obviously more expensive than you could, you could live that kind of lifestyle, especially in some of these places where there's, you know, major geo arbitrage opportunities and stuff might be a third or half the cost of, of the U S but kind of for, like having the initial group I was traveling with and then having the extended community, like remote year is a very active like Slack community. So you can connect with anyone who's like ever traveled on that program uh, before. I've, you know, it was, it was nice for, for me in terms of having that um, community piece of it. Oh, that's incredible. So you have a place to stay everywhere you go. The flights are paid for. Is this round trip or is this even from say, Austin to Bangkok and then Bangkok to Chiang Mai. So, so when I did it, it was just flights between the cities on your program. So I did four months in Latin America. So Santiago, Chile, first month, Lima, Peru, Medellin, Colombia, and then Mexico city. So I had to get myself from Austin to uh, Santiago. Luckily had some American airlines points. So didn't pay anything for that ticket. And then from Mexico city back to, the U.S. I had to get myself back there. Those are some amazing places to visit. How long were you able to stay in each? Uh, one month in each of, each of those places. That is awesome. And so what did your work schedule look like? So, I mean, I was just doing blog and podcasts. So this was my first, this is right when I, I had left my job as an operations manager and I started working for myself and in doing the blog. So it wasn't I, like on, on one piece, I was like very excited to start that as a new venture. But then I also was kind of torn because I was like, oh, you know, this is you, early retirement kind of 
sabbatical. I'm not sure what it's going to be. So it was, it was tough to, to balance. I want to be really productive with, oh, I've been working, you know, my ass off for seven years. So I kind of want to chill. Yeah. So I, I mean, I usually get up early. So I, you know, would start working at seven or eight, like a normal time, but then I might cut out at like 1 p.m. and go enjoy myself the rest of the day. That's cool. You would show up at the designated co-working space that they had assigned for you and work from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m., let's say? Yeah, I mean, I, I like co-working spaces. Like, I think Remote Year maybe got me in that thing. You know, depending on what you're doing, sometimes it's nice to kind of be at home and, you know, you don't have to worry about being social or being around anyone. And maybe depending on the kind of work you're doing, you know, if you're writing up your goals for the next year, kind of brainstorming some stuff, you might want to be alone. But it is nice, I think, to sometimes it kind of motivates me to be around other people that I see grinding it out and, and working hard. And, you know, you can shoot the shit and have a little bit of side conversation, but then you kind of are motivated to jump back in. What are, what's your like ideal, like well, work environment for being productive? I'm the same way. I like waking up in the morning and seeing the guy in the shotgun house next door to ours sitting at his desk working it motivates me a little bit. And I'm the same way. When I go to the gym, I don't like to see nobody in there. I don't like it packed. I want to see other people getting after it because it does inspire me a little bit. What about alone time with your girlfriend? How, how did you achieve that in a place of lodging where you have 16 roommates? Like, did your girlfriend have to sleep in the girl's dorm or how did that work? <laughs> So that was just, that was a housing option in that city. Since we were a couple, they actually put us just in a one bedroom apartment by ourselves. So we were, we were never in like the real world house, you know, mansion type of place. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, you have, you know, you have more experience than me, but I think that was definitely an adjustment for traveling with my significant other. Um, before then we had never even lived together. So you know, kind of traveling and working online is new to us. And then also living together thrown on top of that. So it was, it was good on remote year because there's plenty of other people that we were friends with. So I think we did a good job of like having guys time, her having girls nights, like we don't need to do everything together. Um, if we would both be at the co-working space at the same time, like we wouldn't sit next to each other because when, you know, when I want to be productive and focus, I, I just want to do that. Right. So I don't want someone, you know, constantly asking me questions or, or something. So I think that could be distracting. Are you still dating her? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're still together. That's quite an achievement. How long have y'all been dating? Uh, just past four years. Whoa. So. No ultimatums yet, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's getting there. So yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> so how old were you when you decided that you were going to do this remote year? Oh, how old was I? I think I was 28 at the time. Um, started the program when I was 29. I think I had read, oh, what book is it? When by Daniel Pink. You've ever read that book? I haven't. I've heard of it. Interesting book. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I would recommend it. He talks about the timing of things and like, you know, beginnings, middle, and kind of breaks down some like social science information. But I remember him giving the example that people in like the last year of a decade are more likely to make like a l major life change. So say, for example, someone's 49 years old, 
they're more likely to run a marathon if they've never ran a marathon before than someone who's 50 years old. Just kind of that ending piece of that decade of their life. I, I mean, I don't know if that's true. I, that's, that's what he said in the book, you know, based <laughs> on, on stats. But yeah, kind of when I was 28, you know, I really wasn't, I had a great work situation in terms of the amount of money that I was making. And I was, I was saving a lot. I had, you know, between 60 and 70% savings rate. But from a work-life balance perspective, um, it wasn't ideal. Like I, I had a really long commute, worked nights, worked on the weekends. So I just, I knew I needed like a major life change. And it was kind of funny. It just so happened to be, you know, the last year of, of my 20s. So I was like, all right, I got to make this, I got to make this change. I got to do something different. I can relate. I was 34 years old when I decided to quote unquote retire. And it was April when I quit my job. I turned 35 in June. And in the interim there, it seemed like an inflection point where I'm probably going to find the woman of my dreams here pretty soon. I just felt like everything was kind of working toward a next phase. And I thought that that time away would give me so much time to reflect on how I got to where I am and recharge the battery, so to speak, and figure out how I was going to get better in the next phase and even what that next phase was going to be. So I had only intended it to be a year which turned into 18 months. And then the disconnect between employers and me, I also decided, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing, start a blog and a podcast and really enjoying it. And I haven't really niched down. So I like to think of myself more like Joe Rogan than say Nomad on Fire because, and, and you probably use it to speak about a broad array of topics too. But if you want to make a lot of money, you'd be wise to niche down, right? Because if I did a podcast on, umbrellas and little blue houses, the, the makers of umbrellas for little blue houses are going to want to advertise on my podcast and I should be able to charge them a lot more than the standard rate of $25 per CPM, right? Which is a thousand downloads. And I also had a 60 to 70% savings rate, sometimes up to 80%. And I remember friends of mine who were killing it at work what they were doing with their money didn't seem appealing to me. Like one of them in particular would go to the same restaurant every Friday and park his Ferrari out front and walk in and give daps to all the waiters. And I thought, you know, I could, I could be that guy and I could invite a different guy from the gym to come join us every week. And that guy will think I'm a big dog and I'll order appetizers for the table and I'll pick up the tab. Or I could do something a lot better with my life and I could learn and, and grow and become more worldly and to be able to provide more value to the world. And I figured going and immersing myself in different cultures, trying to learn another language and spending so much time on planes in solitude is really going to portend a lot of growth. So I was after that. And I also knew that I didn't want to spend my entire year just going to Havar and trying to party like Bieber and Jay-Z. I wanted to teach. I wanted to volunteer teach because I know that that portends growth too, and I would be able to build relationships there that would lead to fulfillment for the rest of my life. It seems like I do end up talking about it a lot now, especially when I'm giving talks, for example, or coaching young people, because I want them to understand 
there are, are many ways to success and you won't be fulfilled if you just become a multimillionaire. You've got to do more than that because what's next? Like, so you've gotten there. Now what? You still have to occupy your time and you want to occupy that time with something that continues to allow you to grow and provide value to people. And whether you get paid for that or not, that's up to you. But I can tell you this, if you are providing value to people, a lot, a lot of times they won't value it unless there's money coming out of their pocket to pay for it. My coaching, for example, if I charge no money, well, they would cancel every other week. They wouldn't show up to the call because you're going to get busy with other things. So did you then live off of your savings rate when you were traveling? You, you lived off of savings and did you allocate a certain amount of money that you, you were targeting to spend every month? Yeah, I did. I mean, I had other savings and investments, but I had about a year. I had a year cash buffer. I budgeted a little bit on the higher side. Like I, I had, I think, 30 or 35K set aside because I knew that remote year was going to be really, exp it was only four months, right? But I knew it was going to be more expensive than say Southeast Asia on, on my own. And I didn't want to, I mean, I kind of just, balled out, let's call it, right? Those were my first few months of traveling. So I was like, I'm going to have the most awesome experience and like doesn't, you know, necessarily matter what, what it costs. Like I have this money set aside for it. Um, my dad and my girlfriend's dad came down, like we did Machu Picchu in Peru. That, that was awesome. So um, celebrated my 30th birthday in Colombia. It was actually probably like one of the best birthdays I've ever had. We uh, rented a finca right? So just like a country house out in the mountains in, uh, in Colombia there outside of Medellin. Um, had a full soccer field, had a pool, and like pretty much everyone in our group came to it. So there's like 30-something people. We all just went out there for one night. There was kind of enough beds, but some people just kind of had mats on the floor, but it didn't matter. Like it was just the whole group partying together. It was like epic birthday. So yeah, the, the first few months were, were pretty pretty epic. And then like at the beginning of this year, Southeast Asia was, was much cheaper. Still maybe a little bit on the high side, depending on, you know, who you talk to for Chiang Mai or Southeast Asia. I think I spent around 1800 a month, but same, same thing. I kind of didn't really, that's like, that's just how much I spent. Like if I wanted to do a side trip, I did it. If I wanted to go out to dinner at some nice restaurant for anniversary or some sort of occasion, like I went to it and just 1800 is just kind of where the chips fell. You told your boo like, Hey, this is our 14 month anniversary. We're going to go have steak tonight. <laughs> it's, I mean, in Thailand, right. It's, it's tough to, we went to this hotel. I don't know if you call it a hotel or resort, I guess hotel, but it was gorgeous. Like I think it was a four or five star place. So I don't know what that would cost you in the US, like, I don't know, 600 to $1,000 or something per night. And I think, I, I mean, I think I used points. So it, it didn't, you know, necessarily cost me any cash out of pocket. But I think the cash rate was only like 150 to two, 200 or something. And this place was up in the mountains, kind of right outside of Chiang Mai, like had a beautiful infinity pool kind of overlooking just the forest and the mountains. So even if you're splurging a little bit in some of those places, it's, you're not going to break the bank, I guess is, is what I'm saying. That is so true. So you had budgeted about 
$2,500 to $3,000 a month on top of the $2,000 a month you were already paying for remote year? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was right, either 4000 or 4500 for those first few months. And then I had budgeted, which I was like right at or a little bit over during remote year. And then I had budgeted 2000 per month after that. And I came in a little bit under. So I actually was like right on target with my, with my spending. Okay, so I did about the same thing. I was planning on spending five grand a month. And most of that was going to be lodging, which many people don't understand when you're traveling like that. The cost primarily depends on what level of lodging you want to stay in, right? You could stay in a hostel, which would be very cheap, or you could stay in a four-star or five-star hotel. And obviously, $75 a night would be $2,500 a month. $100 a night would be $3,000 a month. And so I was in that $75 to $100 range. I thought I was too old to stay in hostels. And some of them have rules that you couldn't be 35 or you couldn't be older than 35. Most of them were accommodating and would give you a private room if you requested it, if they had it available. But for the most part, I'm not a partier. As I said, I'd prefer to learn and read and do things like that right rather than go out drinking every night. Did you run into a problem where you would meet people while traveling that didn't have your same idea of spending and therefore it created a conflict? Like I'll give you an example. I was on a pub crawl in Budapest one time and they were complaining about the price of beer. And I was like, bring on the vodka cranberries. $6 a drink is nothing to me. I'm going to ball till I fall. I still, <laughs> I still have $700 left in my budget this month. And they're, they're, they're scouring the couch for quarters just trying to put a, a pitcher together, a beer. Did you run into that issue? No, not, no, not necessarily. Um, I feel like, too, like the group I was with was big enough. So it kind of worked both ways. Like if somebody, you know, if I wanted to go out and and party, say there was probably always a group doing that. If I wanted to stay in and just have a board game night and not spend too much money, there was a group doing that. So it's kind of nice to have those options that depending on how I was feeling or just what I felt like spending, I could kind of make that choice and, and decide who to hang out with. Did you ever consider any like remote year, any sort of like group travel? I didn't know that was a thing. No. And if I had known it was a thing, I would have assumed that it was just younger folks. And I also don't like being captive. So I I like to go where I want to go when I want to go there. And so it would have been antithetical just to, to my life's philosophy at that time. So I probably wouldn't have done it. Although I would have liked to have known where they were. So if I wanted to go out one night, I could join with a group that was cool because I almost always did enjoy when I ran into a pub crawl or whatever it was and befriended them. Yeah, that's tough. And I remember you said you spent your 30th birthday in Colombia. I spent my 35th birthday in Prague and one of the best birthdays ever. I mean, I, I flew in on a Friday. I treated it like any other day. I got to know the, the hotel clerk behind the desk. So I gave her my card and told her to text me. And that night, I'm just laying in my hotel room reading a book, and I get a text that says, H-I-Y-A, exclamation point. I said, what the hell does that mean? So I threw her the who dis, and she said, oh, I'm, I'm the girl from downstairs. What did you have in mind? And so I'm like, hey, why don't we get a coffee here, and it'll overlook this square, and we'll watch the people walk by. And she's like, are you kidding me? That's, that coffee is $2.50. 
And I'm like, so what? I'm buying. She's like, no, I won't allow this. We're going around the corner to a, a little coffee shop hole in the wall that nobody's ever seen or heard of. And I'll let you buy there. And I'm like, okay, but, but I'm getting a freaking Carmel Macchiato there. And she thought I was fancy, but we sat there and couldn't see anybody. And it was all because she wanted to have a coffee in a closet because having a coffee in a tourist area was forbidden for somebody like her that was local. Anyway, we ended up having a drink after that, but it just goes to show you like the perceptions. Here I am, I'm budgeting 5,000 a month and she working at the hotel probably makes like $600 a month. And you can't tell people like, I have a lot of money saved. Like some of these people in, in Eastern Europe, they don't even have savings accounts. It's the same thing when you travel to Central and South America. They try to wheel and deal you and you realize that they're living paycheck to paycheck and don't have a savings account. So you're haggling over a dollar just for the principle of it. And to them, they make like $2 an hour. So it, it's just, it's so interesting when you get into these situations where you really get to know people and get to know their finances and how they live and how they won't have a coffee at a coffee shop that's not even half the price of Starbucks because it's too expensive. But anyway, I'll just, I'll never forget that. Just walking the streets of Prague on a date on my 35th birthday, I just thought I had reached the pinnacle. You know, it doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> so I got to ask you this. Many people believe that COVID was created to get rid of the United States president who many were convinced was literally Hitler. Do you think other countries, <laughs> opposition parties are blaming their president for the deaths in their respective countries? Do you think that's happening? Oh, wow. I don't know. Good question. I haven't really, I mean, I haven't really been following it. You know, I'm sure that, I'm sure that around the, I don't know in terms of, blaming their presidents. I mean, I'm sure that there's some places around the world where, you know, governments are maybe taking on uh, additional power. I think I saw something on Vice about Cambodia, maybe it was, um, you know, just controlling information about COVID and, and different things. So I don't know. That's, a, that's an interesting, interesting topic for sure. Do you think if China were at war with us right now, we would know it? Ooh, these are, these are good questions. We're, we're, we're going there. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, I think there's ways that you could destroy a country without, you know, without being a, you know, an actual war with them, right? Where we're shooting at each other and, and dropping bombs or, you know, launching missiles at each other. Right. I think you could see the, uh, division in, in the country and you could spread, misinformation and you have people looking at the same facts but they're living in two different realities right so i think if you want to uh if you want to destroy someone you could probably more more easily destroy them from within are you someone who gets information and nudes from both sides of the aisle i, I do try to get news from from both sides of the aisle for sure the u.s has become so politicized right like this thing that happens and then there's two completely separate takes on it and then sometimes it seems like it seems like you know one side just decides oh this the other side says this so we we got to go the complete opposite 
from, from what they're saying, but like masks or something, right? Like I, there were plenty of, I, there were plenty of conservatives talking about wearing masks, I think, when, when COVID first came out and, and there were plenty of Democrats not talking about masks. And then it seemed like it, masks became politicized, right? And everyone just took a side and our side believes in masks and our side says that, oh, we don't believe in them, right? It's just, it, it's stupid, right? Like, why, why can't we all look at, at the facts and agree, hey, this, this is what it is, right? Why, why are we living in two separate realities? Did you ever have doubts about taking your girlfriend on the remote work trip? Did you think you were taking sand to the beach sometimes and, and wish you could do it again as a single man? That's, a, that's another great question. Actually, I've talked to a few people about this, right? I think, I don't know if it was remote year or just traveling, living as a digital nomad in, in general. I'm sure it could apply to both situations. I think for me, it highlighted all the positive, it like really highlighted all the positives of being in a relationship, but it also extremely highlighted all of the downsides of being in a relationship, right? I think, you know, most things in life is just, sometimes things are objectively better than another thing, right? But a lot of times it's, it's just trade-offs, right? There's a lot of benefits to being in a relationship. There's a lot of benefits to being single. So I never got homesick. I never was lonely, right? Because I always had somebody with me to travel with, to talk to about certain issues. You know, I never had to go do anything by, by myself. So that's a positive for me. On, on the downside, right? Like I see my friends and they're going out, they're partying. You know, my one friend has like a new girlfriend in every place that we visit and he's having a, a great time, right? So sometimes you see that and you're like, oh, wow, you know, maybe if I was single, this, this would be a lot of fun. So... I don't know. There's positives and, and there's negatives for sure. But he, he, actually, he actually now has like, he found a, a girlfriend in Mexico and they've been together like ever since. So he actually, he's in love, doing, doing great, been with her for, for a while now. He's got a sweet little chica, huh? My next question uh-huh. was going to be, could he now date an American woman now that he's experienced women from other parts of the world? What's his take on that? Oh wow, that's that's a good question. I haven't I haven't asked him about it. I'll have to. Uh, that's a good question. I'll have to talk to him about that. I'm not. Do sure. you have a different view of American women having met so many foreign women? Um, I mean, I think I mean I think I have some assumptions, but I haven't. You know, I've been with my girlfriend for the last four years, so it's hard for me. You know, I haven't been in a relationship with anyone from from a different country. So it's difficult for me to, to say, and it's like, is that, is that just this person's personality difference or is, is that a truly like a cultural difference? Right. So I think it, it would be hard for me to, to pin that down. If what are, could, if we could speak in generalities for a second, what are some of the main differences between women in other countries and American women that you noticed? Like the, the glaringly obvious things it seems like maybe they would be more caring on average, more like concerned about your needs, if if that makes sense. In terms of just like doing just, I don't know, nice things for you. Like just, I don't know, giving you like 
a back massage or something like just for, just for the heck of it, like nice things in, in terms of in that regard. But I, again, I don't know if that's a, an individual difference or if that's a true like general cultural difference. What, what are your thoughts on that? When I was going across the Pacific, I told a good Asian friend of mine, doctor, really successful, got married later in life, two young kids now. I told him I was taking my girlfriend across the Pacific and he said, why? And I, I said, well, I enjoy spending time with her and I'm going to be gone for five months. I thought she might like to experience this too. She really enjoys traveling. And he was like, oh, big mistake, dude. And I said, why? And he said, well, Asian women have this deep-seated desire to please their man. And you'll notice them doing things like bathing you, not upon request, almost out of obligation. Little things like you're describing that you're not, American men are not used to, like them helping you to put on your jacket and patting you on the shoulder after your jacket is on and looking up at you with that demurring look that you're not used to seeing in America because I don't know if it's because women fight in America any any hint of subservience because it's antithetical for of what they've fought for through first, second, third wave feminism for years. I don't know if it's this emasculating of men at the same time that we've masculinized women, but there doesn't seem to be a willingness to do nice things for a man for the perception that you'll be perceived as subservient. And as we see the conflation of masculinity and femininity in America, I think that relations are being eroded because I think there's some value in polarity and maintaining the poles of masculine feminine. I think that's what attracted you to each other in the first place. And of course, on early dates, you're going to be on your best behavior. And then what happens is over time, you try to make the other person like you. And I think this has been exacerbated by COVID restrictions because people spend so much time together that he starts to talk like her or she starts to talk like him. And you're almost becoming the same person as if you don't have your individuality. So when men get a taste of the another way of being, they're usually, I don't want to say usually, it happens a lot based on friends that I've had that have gone to places like Korea or Japan where they get a taste of a very feminine woman and they're so overwhelmed that I've even seen where they have left their wives of 25 years for this Korean woman and started a whole new life. I've seen it many times. And while that's unfortunate, I hope that it's a wake-up call to us in the States to hopefully get back to more traditional roles of what most fulfills us. Because I'm not sure that a man 
echoing phrases like happy wife, happy life, and putting their wives on a pedestal and as if she can do no wrong and as if she's always right. I think that that tends to make men miserable over time. And I think that what makes women miserable is when their men don't have a backbone, when he doesn't stand up for himself. I'll give you an example. I have a friend who was on a call with his subordinates at work and his wife walked in the room and he was being very dominant. And so she took to Twitter and said, I just observed my husband on a Zoom call for work and he was very dominant. How can I get some of that dominance around here? (laughs) So it may not be explicitly stated, but there's something about masculinity that's missing. And when a woman gets a glimpse of it, she's very turned on by that. How do we get there? Well, maybe we have to expose ourselves to other cultures and see what's working for them that makes them happy and fulfilled. Because I feel like in America, the route we're going isn't taking us to a good place. The birth rate is going down. I think people are dating for far too long. And it's just not making us happy. Whatever we're doing isn't making us happy and fulfilled. People have so many options that their relationships become surface level. Um, You talked about traveling and always having somebody to talk to. Well, even boredom is less prevalent now because you can always look at your phone. And so when you can always chat, text with a friend or Facebook message with them or see what's going on in everybody's lives, you're always going to be occupied and not bored. You can almost, boredom is almost obsolete at this point, right? So, yeah. I just think it's interesting to talk about. People told me that I would change my mind a lot after I traveled the world. And one of the things that just makes you realize is just how different men and women are from other parts of the world. And I was sitting in a cafe in Bucharest, Romania, which there in Romania, they still have very strong differences between the sexes, very strong polarity. And I asked him if he was attracted to American women, because most foreign men tell me that American women are their favorite. A lot of men in the world find Romanian women very attractive. So I asked him, do you, do you feel spoiled that the per capita attractiveness of women here is so high? And he said, well, yeah, I, I do. And I, I said, well, don't you prefer American women? And he said, no, your women, they are very much like a man. And the men in your country, they are very much like a woman. And I thought, that is so perceptive of you. But they have access to our television, right? Our sitcoms where they see the man is, is the bumbling idiot and the woman is the all-knowing personification of perfection. So I hope we get back to our more traditional roots. And it doesn't have to go all the way back to the 1950s, but at least acknowledge that I'm not sure this road we're going down is leading to fulfillment. And, and that should be one of the goals in life is, is happiness and fulfillment. Let's pursue that the best way we know how. And I'm not even sure we're, we're trying to figure that out. But it would take people who have been exposed to other cultures to bring back that knowledge and say, hey, I was, I was on that, the, uh, the Nina and the, the Pinta Maria that went across <laughs> the ocean for, for 48 days And I've come back with all this knowledge about how these people in this foreign land live and they seem real happy and fulfilled. We should try that here. So, 
I, I agree with you, right? I think there's def definite differences, and I think we've maybe changed a lot of things, maybe maybe too far, right? I, I, but it's an interesting topic to to discuss. I like when you when you talk about it on on the podcast. I'm happy that we're getting a chance to. I guess maybe a personal question for you. I don't know if I've heard you talk about it. Like, I guess if you don't mind sharing, like, how did you know that your wife was was the one like was there was that like a a one time thing or or over time did you recognize that well the contrast between her and the other girls that i was dating was so vast and just to give you a, an example relating to what you're talking about when we were on our second date i had a beer and we were sitting in like the 6th row at an astros game and she noticed that I didn't have a lime, or maybe I noticed I didn't have a lime for this Corona that I was drinking. And she said, oh, I'll go get you one. And she sprung up and hustled to go get me a lime. And I thought, you know, the last date I was on, the girl wouldn't have budged, you know? So it was just doing something small for him that he could do for himself that was really nice. And I thought that that's so sweet of you, but the girls that I had been dating were more arrogant and expected you to do things for them at all times. So that would just be one example, but I could, I could, I could give a, a ton of examples. Um, she would inquire about me, like, what are you reading? When I would walk into the gym where she was working, I'd have a book under my arm and she was genuinely curious, like, hey, what are you reading? Tell me about it. That sort of thing was rare because most women in their 20s, three or four years ago, four or five years ago, would avoid eye contact or wouldn't talk to you unless you talk to them first. Just the lack of eye contact, the, the blank stare when you say something witty, which I think is a symptom of screen addiction because people just aren't good at that dance of communication that used to exist where we both kind of understood that we were doing the tango, whereas now you could be doing the foxtrot, they're doing the tango, and you're stepping on each other's toes. So I think what people have defaulted to, and you see this a lot with young people now, like they'll talk for 12 minutes, stop talking, and then look at you like, okay, it's your turn. That's the way of the world now because we've lost our ability to communicate because of all the time we've spent in our screens. My wife didn't just talk to be talking as if she had this nervous anxiety like she couldn't dance with me. Man, it's a, it's a different world. And most women think that they're in a position of strength, which is also, I think, attributed to social media because they're getting all these likes and friends and followers. And, and what guy wants a girl who posts five selfies a week? Like, we don't want that. You can watch some women sitting at breakfast, and, and I've done this before. They'll take like 150 pictures of themselves. Well, it's not just the 150 selfies. Then they have to take the time to edit it and go through the filters that they want to use, which that takes another hour or two. And so when you realize how much of their life is filled doing these things, what kind of conversation are you going to be able to have with them three years from now? It's not going to be good. I mean, I had been on a date where a woman was, was asking me like, hey, I, took, I just took this picture uh, at the park and I would like you to tell me which filter you think is best. And so that's how we spent the dinner. Right? <laughs> like, what, what are you doing? That was the whole conversation. <laughs> yeah. Or texting with somebody while they're on a date. Like, how do you not know better? 
than to be texting while you're on a date. You should know better. But, but unfortunately, people, people are never told. And I always thought if a woman gets into my car or anybody gets into my car and they're texting with somebody else as soon as they get in the car or they're scrolling Instagram rather than having a conversation with me, I think, okay, I can set a precedent here, put my foot down and say, what the hell are you doing? Like, get out of my car if you're going to be communicating with somebody else rather than me. Or I can allow this to fuel my internal state in that this person isn't capable of impacting my internal state, sort of like a stoic, which is going to behoove me long term. Because in the future, you're going to have to deal with people who aggravate you. And how you deal with that is going to portend your, the, the growth of, of your future and success. The way that I would handle it is not say anything. Because I know that you're going to have to deal with all sorts of nonsense later in life. So build your internal strength and just deal with this and just swallow it. When a lot of times, the better thing to do is to say, what the fuck are you doing? It's the same way when you have subordinates that work for you or you have a tenant and they're late on rent. Do I eat this and work on my internal state or do I understand that human nature is such that you have to put your foot down, unfortunately? Maybe you wouldn't need that and I wouldn't need that foot down on me, but most people do. And so it's emotional intelligence. It's understanding human nature. And these are things that you figure out with age, of course, how to best handle these situations to create the most desirable outcome. That's an extremely common thing nowadays. Like I've been out to restaurants and it's a couple and they're both just sitting there, each looking at their own phones. I think in the example you gave, I think if it was, if it was like an early date, you know, if it was our first through third date, same thing. I don't think I would say anything then. But then if the rest of my time with that person, you know, I was enjoying it and we progressed in the relationship, I think then at some point I would be like, hey, you know, I think that's pretty rude. You know, we're out here having a good time together. We just went out to dinner, you know, whatever we're doing. You know, I'd like it if you were, you know, focused on us talking and enjoying our time together. It, it seems a little rude that you're on your phone, you know, doing whatever. Right. So if you go on two or three dates and they're all doing something like that, like texting as soon as they get in your car, somebody who doesn't do that, somebody who, play, who pays 100% attention to you and is curious about the trip you just went on or what book you're reading, that is really going to stand out. And, and most of the time nowadays, because women assume that they're in a position of strength because of social media and all the likes and comments that they get, they don't realize that they're competing just as you are. So they're going to act as they act, and most guys don't call them out because we're afraid to even talk about women nowadays. We're afraid to talk about race relations, right? So that is part of the emasculation of society, but we have to figure these things out. When do you put your foot down? When do you acknowledge that human nature is X, and so I need to do Y, right? It's, it's, a, it's a balancing act that you have to figure out for yourself. And hopefully you make an accurate judgment of people as you get older. And all of this enables you to find the right one. But one thing I didn't anticipate is 
if I wait until I'm 35 to marry and I'm dating women uh, that are 25, 26, I couldn't have anticipated the advent of social media and just how communication skills would change and just how little they would value someone like me, right? They're just so used to communicating with people like them that when they encounter an older person who doesn't spend 12 hours a day on their phone, they don't know how to communicate with that person. And they certainly aren't like, oh, this guy's, this guy's really interesting. He doesn't spend 12 hours on his phone. No, it's like, hey, why aren't you on Snapchat? <laughs> uh, why didn't you like my, my selfie? So yeah, it's all fascinating, man. I'm glad I'm out of that game, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Did you ever, did you ever try like any, I, I think you met your wife in person, right? But did you ever try any like apps or like online type dating? I tried it, but I wasn't very good on apps because I don't think that I'm that good looking of a guy. And 20% of guys date like the top 80% of women. I didn't tear it up. Like I have a guy, I have a buddy who's five, five who would do much better on apps than I would. And then he would show up. And of course he'd be seven inches shorter than they thought he would be. And they'd be 40 pounds heavier than he thought they would be. And then <laughs> he just ends up wasting his time for like 18 nights of his life. And I am, I am like King daddy, do not waste my time. So I will weed myself out quick and weed them out quick. As a man, you, you build yourself up. And as a woman, you generally want to preserve yourself as much as possible. So this idea that women are the prize is something I never bought into. Women, there was abundance in my mind. And I felt like for the most part, I had my pick of the litter and I would get dismissed quite a bit too. I mean, it's just part of the game. You know, you get rejected a lot and then girls you want don't want you and then girls that want you you don't want them and so hopefully you just find somebody that shares your values who is uh, attractive enough that is going to attract you initially and then you get to know them and and you hit it off you're compatible so it, it just works but you know a lot of people nowadays speaking of you know me not being that look good looking of a dude a lot of people if they're not mature, are going to look for surface level cues like physical attractiveness. So is this guy going to look good in pictures with me? <laughs> like I know some <laughs> chicks in my Facebook feed where the guy is better looking than her. And it's like you overshot. Like you, you went too far <laughs> on this. Uh, new world, man. Do you think COVID and all the like virtual meeting has just made it even worse? Well, I think people who have pretty eyes are going to do well. Pretty eyes and physique is going to matter more than anything, right? Because we have our faces covered. There's only so much you can do with your eyes, but you'll see more people getting their eyebrows waxed <laughs> and, and trying to do HIIT workouts at home so that they can get those things at order, at, at, least, at least if they're smart, because those are the things that are really going to matter in the coming years as we as we keep our faces covered. Crazy time, crazy times, man. Yeah. It's and the, like, I was thinking like dating also to the communication piece, right? People are already on their phones now, like now with COVID, right? There's, there's not, you know, we already had a lesser amount of in-person interactions now with COVID it's even less than it was before. Do you think that's gonna, do you think that's gonna make it worse from 
a communication standpoint, just like in general? I can remember when I was in my early 20s, my best friend and I were saying, oh man, these, these chicks are giving us time to think about what we want to say before we respond. Like this is like shooting fish in a barrel. How are you going to give me 15 minutes to think about what I want to say? So nowadays though, it's a different language. Like you need to add an LOL after what you say to suggest that you're trying to make someone laugh. It used to not be that way. People used to consider your personality when they're receiving the message. But nowadays, if you watch a, a young 20-something girl, she's got like 17 conversations going on at once in five different apps. And it's so fast that you don't even have time to consider whether they're trying to say something funny. So you just have to adapt to this new language of, of texting. And yeah, you could improve in that area. But I would, if I were still dating, I'd, I'd try to improve my physique and get my eyebrows waxed probably. <laughs> I actually wanted to, to ask you about that. I hope you don't mind if I um, jump in topics. What's your like ideal uh, go-to like workout routine? I like to do interval training, something where I get in fast and get out fast. I think there are certain things that you can do to help build your physique, like rowing, or I'm a big fan of compound movements like deadlifting. So jump rope is something I like to do, uh, box jumping, you know, things that make me feel like an athlete. Because as I age, I, I try to get away from heavy bench press or heavy squats and things like that. So those are the sorts of things that I like to do. Can we do some fun questions before we cut out? Hell yeah, let's do it. All right, social media, net negative or net positive for society? Oh man, I've heard you ask this before. I was hoping you're gonna ask me. And honestly, <laughs> honestly, I'm going to say net negative. Um, I, there's so many benefits to social media in terms like, you know, pro we probably never would have got connected if there wasn't social media and easy way to reach out to each other. But I think there's a lot of downsides, right? You know, political polarization. I think there's been some studies with like depression rates of teenagers and self-harm and suicide. The way that social media is now, net negative. Do you think not wanting something is just as good as having it? <laughs> yeah, to, to me it is. I'm, I'm the type of person like sometimes I can get like very intense and kind of obsessed about something and that's bad from maybe an unnecessary <laughs> purchase, right? If I, I see this new flat screen TV and I probably don't need to spend 1500 bucks, but I see it and I, I really want it. So yeah, I think for me, not, not wanting something is, is just as good as having it. Do you think Jeffrey Tubin should have been fired for accidentally exposing himself on a Zoom call? <laughs> yes. <laughs> What's the best donut you've ever had? I'm not usually a big donut guy. Does, it, does a churro count as a donut? I'll take a churro. I like, I like churros. I had some great churros in um, Mexico City when I was there. If you were stuck on an island and could only bring one Spotify list with you, what would that list look like? I think I would bring like just all of the Joe Rogan podcast. So much, so much content in terms of hours worth of content and so much variety. What is one piece of travel equipment that you would recommend to someone if they only had $100 to spend? I have this thing called a Spee belt, I think it is. It's just like a little fanny pack, but it's for running. It's like very, 
don't know, you can conceal it holds your phone keys. So you can have that if you go out for a run or if you're for some reason wearing uh, pants or shorts that doesn't, that don't have pockets. Um, I had that one of my friends that had traveled pretty extensively recommended it to me. And, and I liked having that. Spell that for me. I think it's pronounced SPI. It's S P I belt. Just okay. if you, if you search it, it's, it's just like a, it's a fanny pack, but it's like a real like small one for running. If someone were to give you at no cost, a hundred thousand dollars worth of stock in either Spotify or Airbnb, which would you take? Oh, I think I would do Airbnb. I think, you know, there's, I'm sure they've taken a significant hit with COVID, but I think when the world bounces back, I think Airbnb will bounce back. Kind of, kind of biased against uh, Spotify. They don't have uh, the video of the Joe Rogan podcast on their smart TV app. So I, I don't, it's, it seems to me like a pretty big oversight if, if you spent money to buy the world's largest podcast and you know that people watch the video and you don't have that capability on your <laughs> smart TV app. I can see it on my phone and the computer, but for some reason, when I pull up like Fire TV, Spotify, it doesn't show the video, which is kind of frustrating. If you could organize a dinner party of six guests and have either everyone you've ever hurt or everyone who has ever hurt you, which would you choose? Either everyone you've hurt or everyone who has ever hurt you. Six guests at a dinner party, which do you choose? Interesting. I haven't heard you ask this one before. I think I would take people that I've hurt, right? I think people that have hurt me, I, you know, have resolved that, right? Where I feel like people that I've hurt, I don't know if it's resolved on their end. So I feel like I would invite those people and maybe talk to them and, and apologize if I needed to. Individually or maybe a speech before you eat? <laughs> I mean, this is already shaping up to be a pretty awkward encounter. You know, I don't, I don't know how this is going to go. I, I guess I would make a speech of, hey, everyone, this is pretty random. This is why you got invited here. And then I would try to talk to them one-on-one. <laughs> Very cool. If somebody dropped a million dollars in your lap tomorrow, what would you do with it? That's a good one. Um, I think I'd pay off my parents' house for them. They helped me out with college, so I'd maybe pay that back so they could retire. And then the rest of it, I'd probably, I think I'd probably buy a house with it. I've been pretty anti-house. I've never owned a house before, like as a personal re- residence, but I think I'd buy a house. And you're in Austin, right? So it'd be hard to pull the trigger now with as much as prices have appreciated. Yeah. Eric, I really appreciate this, man. This is a great conversation. I don't have any more questions for you, but I would like to know how people can find you online. Absolutely, Brad. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on the show. People can connect with me at Nomad on Fire, either the blog or the podcast or social media. I'm Nomad on Fire, probably most active on Instagram. Thank you for being here, dude. Appreciate it. Good job. Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. Friends, thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode with Mr. Eric Richard of Nomad on Fire, please copy the link and send it to a friend. If you wish to follow my adventures on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at man underscore overseas. Thank you, folks. 